that just just one thing in that song, which is which is taken out of uh, out of the book of Revelation, and we sing we sing part of it. It goes that we overcome by. What's the first one we overcome by the and the and. Yeah, there's a bit that's not often brought into that. That they loved their lives not so much to shrink back from death. So it's three things involved there. It's the blood of the Lamb. It's the word, the living word of testimony alive to the life of Christ within me that I cannot hold and I cannot contain. If I could think of that song and if I could sing it, I'd sing it. And they love not their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Now, for for those uh, at that time when that was written, that was in parts of the world right now. That's a very real experience. That people are being martyred for their love and for their faith. But it may not be as dramatic as that for us. Last I've seen, no one's racing around nailing us to the cross out there but there's still a choice that's got to be made from in here that says no I'm willing to die to myself and I'm I'm prepared Lord to lay down my life and I choose, I turn to you and I run to you it's by the blood of the lamb by the word of our testimony and by the fact that we're prepared to not shrink back from laying down my own life and to run and turn to you. So you know, my, my prayer, my heart this morning, you know, we've just been speaking on the series about the goodness of God. So if anything from this morning, I, I pray living words speak that draws us closer in intimacy to knowing the goodness of God. You know, we could pick any, you know, the love of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And the love of God. And it's the love, I believe, that woos us, that draws us, that touches us. And though emotions are not something that we should um, uh, judge things by, we're made in his likeness and in his image. He made us with feelings. Not to control us, but to make us different from a doorpost. We can respond, it can't. In fact, he's not like that either. I was thinking while we were worshipping before that, Lord, I thank you that you are a living God. You're not a piece of wood that we slice into thirds and one third we carve an idol with lips that cannot speak and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. And then with the other two thirds we chop it up and burn in the fire to cook our tea. Something not quite right with that picture. And yet we might do the same, not so much you know, as a wooden idol, something that we carve, but something that we create in our own life that's apart from God and it's lifeless. But we find that God has feelings. Love is an emotional feeling. It stirs and responds within us to it. So he gives us these feelings, not for us to be controlled by them, but to make us something other than a hunk of wood. And that we can respond to a God that has feelings, has emotion towards us because we're made in his likeness and his image. And in that, 
that desire for intimacy. And I believe he's created us for intimacy with him, not just a, well, I don't know what I'll do one day, one, one part of eternity. Um, let's, oh, that was good. No, he's had a desire, a plan, a purpose right from the beginning. In fact, it says from before creation. There's a plan and a purpose for this and we're to come into that understanding of it because I believe it's built around this heart's desire for intimacy. You know, we were at a celebration last night and I just saw something beautiful. I saw someone give witness stand and give testimony in front of a whole bunch of other people, some probably not Christian, not saved, I would imagine, to someone bold enough to stand up and say, Father, I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love you with my heart's desire and I desire to walk and to go after you and to have that intimacy with you. And I know, I nearly wrote it on the card and I wish I did now at the start, that his heart's cry to that person was I see you and I know you and I desire intimacy with you. I made you and I love you and I call you to me. And it was a beautiful thing to see, that intimacy with God just being expressed, not devoid of emotion, but full of emotion that was real and beautiful. So I want to talk about the, about the goodness of God. And that may seem a bit strange. Television has some, some good things on it. And there's an ad on telly at the moment there's a priest or a minister that stands up to his congregation with one of these. <laughs> and then it goes, oh no, battery went flat. Sorry about these as well. <laughs> Those are the things he didn't have. <laughs> the, the thinking that God is good but not just that he's good, and oh yeah, that's good, God's good. He's good all the time. There used to be a thing that was going around, I don't know if it went around all the Christian circles, it was pretty strong, the Baptist church, true Christian church is Baptist church, but anyway, um, is that God is good, and the response was, all the time. I guess it went further than the Baptist church. <laughs> and so, if we can understand that, that God is good all the time, that means all because it's a character uh, trait, it's a character nature, it's part of him. And just in the prayer uh, time this morning, um, Anne prayed out a verse, my wife, um, Psalm 34 verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, there's something that's different in the... In in the way that that's written, in the way that it's not written. It doesn't say, um, listen and hear that the Lord is good. It doesn't say, look and see that the Lord is good. And it doesn't say, touch and feel that the Lord is good. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So there's something that's different with the taste than there is with any of the other senses. To taste you're going to have to consume. And when you consume, that food that you eat becomes part of you. 
And when you, we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about the banquet, we're talking about feeding on him. Eat me. He's crying out to us. Eat me. Drink my blood. And when you haven't got eyes to see or ears to hear what he's talking about, that's just weird. But when he's calling out in a spiritual world, I want you to eat what I am, who I am. The, the spirit is crying out. Deep cries out to deep that you eat of me. And when you taste and you consume, it becomes part of you. And he becomes part of who you are. He develops within you as a life surrendered to you. Blood, the word, and a life that's willing, won't shrink back from dying, that he is alive within us. And it's a beautiful verse, that taste and see that the Lord is good. So I just ask as I, as I speak and as I share through, through the message this morning, some of the things that I say or will be sharing from the awkward thing, and I can tell you, it's with fear and trembling that I've been um, walking through the the week just thinking about this to prepare the message because it can seem that you might stand up here and they've got it all together. Wow, that guy must be yeah, elder, and wow, that's awesome. Those things, and yet it's to a revelation or to a measure that he's shared himself to me, that he's shared himself in a measure to everyone. And then he's calling himself, there's no limit to God. He's deeper, 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 deeper. Keeping that intimacy as a heartbeat. So in that intimacy, I'll continue with him going deeper and deeper and deeper. So one of the things I just want to touch on is this understanding of taste and see that the Lord is good on the goodness of God. And we can look in scriptures, it talks about far, uh, Psalm 111 verse uh, 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding that we, that we have this fearful, awesome reverence of God will bring wisdom into us. But there's something that, that he desires within us more than just this um, fear, awesome reverence. I'm not talking about just shaking up the boots that maybe he'll slap me around the head. But this awe, the power, it's like... Um, when you hear thunder, thunder in of itself is not going to um, destroy you. What's causing it might be a big bolt of lightning, but the thunder, the noise itself, and yet you hear the thunder and you have this sort of fear, this reverence, this awe, the wow, what was that? It's a sense of this awe of God. It's the beginning of wisdom that, Lord, will you speak to me? But wisdom in itself, I don't believe... Is the, is the end goal, is the end that he's looking for. In 1 Kings 3.5, I was just thinking about um, Solomon, and we, we know the story of Solomon comes into the position of, um, of being uh, king of Israel. Um, and he, he said, Lord, who am I? What am I? I'm going to need help in this. The Lord says to him, Ask me. Whatever you want, you ask, and I'll give it to you. Solomon, realizing that he needs this wisdom and understanding to rule the people, he says, effectively, he says, Lord, grant me wisdom. And the Lord says to him, okay, since you have not been selfish in your request, you want to serve and to help these people, then I'll give you that, and I'll give a bunch of other things that go with it. Perhaps it's easy for me to be able to speak to it in hindsight, 
I don't know what I would have asked for if he granted me that opportunity. But I think now that... Um, did you hold that? Thanks. I think back now and I look at that and think, yes, of course he needed that wisdom. He needed godly wisdom to rule over the people. But he, he needed one thing more that he probably saw within his father, but maybe he didn't pick up on him for himself. And that had he asked for wisdom with intimacy, that I know who you are, that I know that you're good, and that as there's this close intimacy, that I remain intimate with you and the wisdom that's applied and my love for you and knowing your love for me, I'm not likely to err and to fall into the traps that Solomon fell into. So I pray in a prayer that we, we prayed here probably a couple of years ago now, and I think it may have been one of the prayer uh, Mount Movers nights, and um, I forget the name, the guys that were leading it from out of town, but the call was about intimacy. And for those that seek intimacy and want intimacy, to lay their lives down, to pray and to seek and open your hearts towards it. And that's been a, a big cry of my heart is for that intimacy to be restored within me. And so I, I, I just urge again, though I'm seeking this and to a measure I believe the Lord's revealed it, I'm far from perfect. Those who walk closest with me. They know that. So in this intimacy, I look to see why, why it ended up this way. How come there's this, this gap and that we have to go seek after this intimacy? And I looked and saw what happened at, um, at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve having been in an intimate, perfect, I mean, you couldn't get a more perfect intimate relationship between humanity and God. And yet, because God has got a much greater uh, a purpose or destiny for us, was prepared to set in motion uh, that plan right from the beginning, right from before the fall, knowing what the outcome would be, but knowing why, the reason why, which is what we need to be able to get sight of. So making their free choice fell short of his standard and broke relationship with him by choosing to do their will, not his will. At that point when they sinned, something crept in that was not there before. And we hear it in the very next words that Adam says when they heard the Lord coming and we were afraid. And fear starts to drive that. that it's an emotion, it's a feeling. It's good to have fear if you're standing on the edge of a cliff. Probably not a good thing. So fear's got its purpose, but in this case, the fear was telling them something has shifted. It was a seismic shift. And so they, they, that fear drove their actions, where before they had intimacy, which was driving their actions. I hear God coming. Wow! And they'd run to him. Oh, good looking God. Instead, I hear God coming. And fear crept in, and they went and hid. God knew that. In fact, they took the steps, and Mel beautifully pointed out about when we realise the situation we're in, we've got to do something, and we'll double our efforts. 
we'll make clothes, whatever those are, because we've never had them before, and we'll make them out of fig leaves or whatever, and we'll do something. And really? Now the Lord stepped in and he says, it's not going to ever be good enough. I will make a covering for you. And even in that, it was a type and a picture of a covering that was to come for a sacrificial lamb. He talks that we, they were clothed now with a covering that God had made. We're to be clothed with Christ, to put Christ on like a garment. Romans 13, 14 talks about us not walking in the lusts of the flesh, satisfying self-will. It's about, again, blood of the Lamb, word of the testimony, not loving our lives so much as to not to shrink back from death, but to lay that down so that it's no longer our self-will that we're giving into the lusts of the flesh and the desire for that, but are prepared and allowing him to do the covering, for him to do the work. Will I submit to him? Because in that submission to him, he's able to bring the intimacy and to build the intimacy with us. He's just looking for people who will continue to submit to him. And it's not a passive, I do nothing submission. It's an active uh, step of faith. But in that, allowing him to make that covering. And I believe that it's really, something that he really spoke to me and showed me is what this message started out, but it's completely changed because we want to focus on the goodness of God. But it's in that submission to him. But as Mel finds her heart and her life laid down in submission to him and she puts on the covering of Jesus Christ, she's found covered in him and immersed in him. As Kirk then does the same, he finds himself covered and immersed in what? Another Christ? No, the same. So now we've got two that are one because they're found covered under the one covering and does the same. But as she finds her life submitted to him and bowed to him and continually submitting, 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 as he, as she understands that he has covered her, that the scripture says to put on Christ, put him on like a garment, that she's covered what? In a different Jesus? No, it's the same. That suddenly we discover there's actually, there's a oneness. And I believe this is the oneness that he's talking about when he says that there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, there's no more um, Gentile, there's no more barbarian or Scythian. I mean, you, you couldn't say anything worse than that at the time. So all those things, male, female, those things are lost. They're lost in the sight of being one in Christ. And it's out of that beautiful intimacy of a life submitted to him that that oneness is found. There's no contention found in Christ. He doesn't argue with himself. He's not Gollum. He's perfectly secure in who he is. So the question is, am I prepared to submit? You know, Mel talked about this perfect love and this love being outworked into perfection. I, I, I remember years ago when I first came to the Lord and I read um, a scripture, a verse, and I haven't got the reference to it here, but effectively it talked, it's talking about Jesus saying, having been made perfect, he was then, I thought, well, hang on a minute. 
What does that mean? Does that mean he wasn't perfect before? <laughs> now, when I shared with that somebody, I, it was as if I'd just um, spoken out some, some blasphemy and I was about to be stoned. I was actually just asking a question, but... <laughs> But I, I, I just sat on it because I didn't really understand. Well, what does that mean? And so I've, I stored that for years and years and years. But it was just recently the Lord revealed to me. He says, the issue was that Christ, Philippians talking about who, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. Oh, do I want to? No. Why? Because perfect love for in him, because he is God and God is love, says, no, I'm, I'm prepared to let this go. Let it go. I'm struck by the words that follow next. And it's, it's not, they're not words to go like that to us, but they're words to give us an understanding of the perspective between humanity or creation and God, a deity, the deity. This is then made himself nothing. So having been made in human likeness, he became a, a, a man, a person, entered into mankind as nothing. So when he's compared to what he is as God, to what we are, he made himself nothing. Perfect love does that. So then, having been um, found in human likeness, and he lives as a servant, and now as a man he walks the earth. And he must face every temptation that you and I face. And the only way that he's able to do that is by walking in the spirit with an intimacy that knows no bounds with a developed love for God, who he knows whose purposes are good. Even though he's facing a cross, despising its scorn and its shame, he walks towards it because he knows who his God is. And this perfect love is outworked to its fullness. So having lived a life facing all of the temptations, and they must be temptations in order to be tempted, so you have to be able to be able to fall, otherwise it's not a temptation. So as God, let that go to become a man for us, to stand in our place, had to be able to be sin, had to be tempted in that, had to overcome that and did, having been built up to the full perfection of love, was then able to be the sacrifice that laid his life down for us, that then gives witness to us and empowers us that we might walk in the same because we're found in him. But the problem is, how do we see him if we don't see it as love? The more and more he's revealing this to me, the more and more I'm just awestruck. The, the way I sit with him, the way I talk with him, the way he ministers with me, and dare I say it even, that I minister to him, it has changed radically for me from being so performance-oriented and structured and routine-oriented to be able to take the essence of all of that and then sit and rest and wait on and in him 
that he then reveals himself to me and I've truly come to hear the soft whisper of Holy Spirit and the heart of God and revealing his heart towards me in a different way than I ever have before, even though through, through the last 30 odd years of walking with him in a, in a relationship with him, having an invited him and more Christian easy words here to invite him into my life and get saved, having walked that and experienced him in different ways that it's like he's just going and bringing it to life in a way that I've never seen before or experienced before and it's partly due to how I now see and view him I've, I've adopted a new routine in my life, one that's holy and acceptable to my wife. <laughs> oh, there are many I have to adopt. It's to wipe down the vanity after I've shaved and brushed my teeth in the morning and the mirror. And for some time... <laughs> Oh, every wife's laughing. Well, is this a sensitive point, is it, guys? <laughs> One thing that I've realised, Anne would say to me, oh, it's not, Anne would say to me, my darling sweetheart, <laughs> forsooth, thou might serve me better. <laughs> if thou would just wipe down the bench and leaveth, it cleaneth. <laughs> Anne would go, well, it is. I did. And for a long time, she was saying, do it. I was thinking, well, it is. <laughs> of what am I not getting here? <laughs> Tell you what I'm not getting here. It's a humble heart to listen to the one that loves me closest, apart from the Lord. To say maybe I need to shift my posture and think why is it that Anne is saying that when I'm saying the opposite, thinking I'm doing already doing something. Because I did it like this. And right now, you're all just fuzzy blobs. <laughs> I can't see. And the other day I put that on and I thought after I cleaned and realised, oh my goodness, that's not clean at all. <laughs> But I do that to God because I'm ready to frame him in my understanding until I'm ready to submit and humble myself and allow him to reveal his heart to me that I can desire his intimacy and I'm more prepared to lay down my life and allow you to speak to me in the middle of trials and troubles. Tension. Daniel, a man beloved of God. Daniel 10, 19. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. We would think, or you could think, that Daniel, who is beloved of God, wouldn't need to go through trials and troubles and, and testings. And yet Daniel 6, 16 to 19 
we read the account of where Daniel is now set up by the bureaucratic officials at the time because they hated who he is and who he was. A man who, who served some pretty unusual bosses. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, effectively, served as, as king. Darius. There's another official that was put in when the Persian Median Empire took over. And Cyrus. They weren't your most benevolent, huggy type guys. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar was at the very end. But here he is in serving these these kings, but with honesty and with integrity, with loyalty before God. That he was then set up to be thrown into the lion's den. And you think, oh, what, another test? Haven't I sort of proven my heart? I don't think it was about a test about proving his heart. I think the test proved his heart. It was already, because I don't think he'd shifted. In fact, when we, if you read those, that account, it's quite bizarre when I looked at it. I'm certainly not saying that Daniel didn't pray. But what is recorded is that the I'll say it this way, that the the pagan king called out to Daniel and said, I'm putting you in there, but Daniel, I'm praying to your God. And the pagan king prayed and fasted all night to come to the morning and said, Daniel, are you there? Yep, I'm here. In fact, proving that it wasn't just a happenstance, Maybe the lions were already full or tired or something. He was called out. Those that set him up were thrown in and the recording is that they were torn and the families were torn to shreds before they hit the ground. But what was it that allowed Daniel to go through that? Again, it's a bit of conjecture here because it's not recorded. But I believe he knows his God. He has intimacy with him. And he knows that God is good all the time, irrespective of what my circumstances are around me. That doesn't change God. I love the word that that Noel brought about the rock, secure, unmoving, unchanging. God is good all the time. Mel talked about the, about the outer courts, about that we can come into the outer courts. And in fact, the scripture records that there was, a, there was like a wall of separation that you weren't allowed to come past a certain part. The scripture then records from Christ that that outer wall of separation has been torn down, that we can come in. But it's not only to come into the, into the courtyard and make your way through, but actually to go right into the Holy of Holies that we now have access to come to the Holy of Holies. Only one was to go there. We now all have access through the one who we find ourselves all in one in, right before the throne of grace. But we're not likely to be ones to do that if we don't know who it is that we're coming before. If our view is distorted, if it's somewhat blurry, 
and that God is not like a rock that is unchanging, that his character nature of him, though he is all-powerful, almighty, is that that's hemmed with love, with his wisdom, with his understanding, with his character nature. I am love. So when I approach the throne of grace, I approach love itself. And it's with fear and trembling, with the awe, with reverence for one who, who loves me, not so much just because of, of the awesomeness of him, but of the understanding of where I am. And it's in that fear and trembling that I come before him, that you should accept me when I realise who or what I am and my fallen nature. And yes, it's because I reach out because of your fallen nature that I lift you up because I am love and because I have a heart of goodness towards you to lead you into me. Yes, come to me. A little while back, and I, I may have shared it, that, that as I was we were talking about this whole um, understanding effectively that God is good and knowing him and coming to him and he started to reveal and show to me about that very verse that we come now boldly before the throne of grace to present our prayers and our requests before him and as he started to show me that it was, it was glib for me just to say it and to give words to it but then he started to reveal to me no I actually mean it I actually have created the 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 pathway for you to come to me. And as I allowed him to speak and reveal himself to me in that, I could see myself standing, as it were, as a, a, an entrance to the throne room and just the, the reverence of God, with of, of Father, of Christ, seated at his right hand, was like overwhelming. And I could get to the doorway and it was like, but Lord... I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't. And he's calling, but I won't come to me. But Lord, I can't. And it took quite a while as he showed that, as he worked in my heart. As he started to show me his heart towards me, not to be fearful of him, but to understand his love for me. Romans 12, 2 says, and not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the perfect will of God. That it took the transformation work of him within me to allow me to get beyond the doorway and to come into his presence. And there was a breaking of me, a transformation, a, a changing, and a work within my heart that I find myself now just running, I run to sit at his knees, to fall. As often I, I said, Lord, you know that song we said, what will it be like when we first see you? I forget how it goes, but you know what I mean. Will I in awe stand still or to my knees will I fall? And I was just praying this morning, I said, Lord, I just see myself. What a privilege to weep at your feet. And my tears drop on your feet to kiss your feet. From the one who loves me, who paid the price for me. How do I know that you are good, that your will, your purpose for us is good? 
this much I know out of intellect, out of understood and seen. This is how much you love me. And if you love me that much, why would I think you would abandon me to now fumble along? I promise I will never leave you, nor forsake you. It's his good pleasure to will and to work within you, to draw him to him. But it takes something to happen. Now I've talked about this rock, the rock of ages. Whenever I hear and think about this um, scripture, it's in Matthew 21, 40 through to 44. He talks about, therefore when the owner of a vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? I said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lose and lease his vineyard out to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it, the fruits of the kingdom, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Those are fruits of the spirit, not fruits of the man. It takes a willingness to surrender my life that the Spirit, the sons of God, are led by the Spirit for spiritual works to have glory to the one who develops us and puts his Spirit within us. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder or to dust. And whenever I think of that rock, I get that picture. I get the picture of Ears Rock. Huge, huge rock. And I think of, we've got a walnut tree that grows in our backyard. Well, the neighbours have a walnut tree that grows in their backyard and half of it's on ours. And, and we get the walnuts, so thank you neighbour. But when you look at that, the, the, the walnuts grow and they grow in this um, green casing and it looks all good and wonderful and it's all nice and it's wonderful. But when it comes to the season, they drop off. They drop on the ground, you see them, the skin goes, it goes horrible. It goes black and shriveled up and disgusting. There's nothing when you're looking at it to say, oh, yum. And, uh, and if it doesn't crack open, um, it just it'll rots away and it just goes a mess. It's, it's disgusting. And I think of that, that picture, that image of the rock that when the, the, the walnut drops onto it and it cracks open or it opens up, you'll see that what you would see is a walnut in the walnut shell. That needs to dry out. Then you can crack it open. But when it drops and falls, when the work of God is being done within what might seem ugly on the outside, the spirit is working on the inside and it takes a willingness to fall on the rock, to be cracked open, that the sweetness and the fragrance and the smell of the spirit, the work that is done deep in here is released for others to smell, to see and to enjoy. But if I will not, he has another option. It's underneath the rock. 
and that rock will utterly crush and destroy it. My heart's desire is to be one that's willing to fall on the rock. Why am I willing to do that? Because I've come to know who the rock is. There were many others that went through different experiences. Daniel in the lion's den. Um, Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. But we find throughout Joseph's life, unwavering, in the midst of being a not very pleasant situation. And I thought, why would he do that? Because he knows God. He knows that he is good. In fact, he gives testimony to it right at the end when Jacob dies and the sons, his brothers, are shaking in their boots. And they're wondering, hmm, now that dad's died, I wonder what Joseph will do to us. They clearly didn't have the same vision or perspective that Joseph had, who he knew God to be. Because he says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And my life is submitted to his will. He will outwork the good. And he has. It's saved a nation. I guess the biggest thing is, is this questioning of, do I know him? Have I submitted my heart, my will to him? I can only encourage you, implore you, look at the, at the scriptures of the men of faith that have gone before you know, Hebrews 12 talks about um, you know, a great cloud of witnesses and that that have gone before. Their very lives are the lives that are shouting at us, urging us on, because they're ones who have walked that, and we can look and read it and say, yes, they know God. They came to know him. And unfortunately, our ready-made world, we think it all happens like that. I get saved. Even we look at Paul. Paul, you know, got flash of lightning or falls over or whatever. God speaks to him. Scales fall from his eyes and bang, he's off ministering. It wasn't like that. He reads that for three years, effectively, he went into isolation, went into the desert, set himself aside to seek the Lord, to have undone mindsets, take those off and put a different set on allowing him to, to work within him. And we can read through scriptures, and I was sharing with Anne, so we'll look at um, uh, Jacob, and you go into Exodus and that for Moses, and about that many verses, 40 years goes past, and we miss that point. 40 years of doing something in a heart, of revealing God's character of his nature, that he is good that I'm willing to now run to him, not hide from him. And as I've had this shift in my own thinking, in my own understanding, say, actually, yes, this is not about me doubling, tripling my efforts. I'll pray harder. I'll fast harder. I'll sing louder. Please don't do that. (laughs) I'll, you know, no, what I'm going to do, I know you. I have come to know you. I am coming to know you. Enough that I will trust my life to you because you have given your life for me. And in that, as I've sat and I've waited on the Lord, 
the, the freedom that is brought to my life, the peace that, he's, that I've experienced. I know that we've walked through some... What I didn't really want to do was set up a whole thing of giving all the terrible things that have happened in our lives and say, well, God is good anyway. But it's the testimony of him through those things, through the sudden death of Anne's brother, through the sudden death of my brother, and a whole host of other things, to find myself turning to the Lord, that now he starts to reveal himself in a way that he never has before. And even in just a little way, The other weekend was up helping her mother take care of her sister as the sister's been put into a, into hospital care. And going through all the things that she was going through up there, I was home alone effectively and doing my own thing. Something weird went on at work and found myself thinking, well, this is strange. And I would normally come home and I'd tell Anne all about it and... Um, and share it that way, but there was no one. So I found myself just holding this and going, this is crazy, Lord, I don't know what this is about. But I feel alone. I know you're there. And as I lay down on the bed, out of my spirit, and I could, I could tangibly feel within me that my soul sings, so my heart yearns for you, Lord. I need you. I need you. I need you more. More than the air that I breathe. More than my next heartbeat. I need your presence, Lord. And I found these verses coming out that it's a dear pants for water, so my soul longs for you. And the sensing the song of songs and he talks about the groom comes skipping over the hills in our, in our backyard you look up to the Haywood Hills and they're like the hills that he comes running. I just sensed him come running to me and console me. Just his presence. I just remember this. Lord, I need you. I'm crying out. My soul yearns for you. And I've, I'm, I feel I can't even do justice to the words trying to speak what was happening there, and his presence came. Now I wouldn't call out to a God that I don't know, that I don't know is good, to God I don't know that is faithful. He is. He's faithful to us in ways that we, we cannot see, in ways that we cannot understand, but they become experiential. That you'll find that the life, the truth of his word becomes alive living within us. It's a living testimony of the life of Christ that I then become as I am an overcomer overcoming the stuff that was going on. It didn't change the stuff. It changed me. And I know there's a verse Psalm 37:25, that I've hung on to all of my, my Christian walk as I've been a parent. This is David Christ. I have never seen the children of the righteous go hungry because I trust in you who I know to be good, good to me. 
and you have been faithful to me every step of the way. We might have had the latest, greatest and flashiest of things, but we have always been provided for. Right down to the house that we're living in right now that I've been praying for, we've been here 10 years, that's the longest we've ever been in one house. Before we came to Wellington, I was praying for a house that was brick and tile, three bedrooms with a separate lounge and dining room with a double garage on a flat section with a big garden down the side. Where are you going to find a place like that in Wellington? When we first moved to Wellington and we were looking, oh my goodness, what is this place? And yet he led us to that place and we were there about a year before it dawned on me one day, hang on a minute, that's a brick and tile, three bedrooms, separate lounge and dining room, it's a flat section, there's a double garage and it's got a garden all down the side. Those were all the things I'd been praying for before I even knew that I'd ever been in Wellington. He wants to reveal his goodness to us, but not in the outcome of those things, but in the nature of his heart towards us because he has one purpose in mind for us, that the outcome of that is for me to know him, his goodness towards me, for his purpose for me because he has a race for us all to be in, a race to an end prize that we sung about before. And it's coming to him, to his, into unity in him, that he would make us his bride. It's not the bride that makes the groom special. It's the groom that makes the bride special. And it's found when we're found in our oneness with him. There's, there's a video clip I want to play that, that's pretty awesome and maybe you've seen it before. But words fail to describe our king. We can try and this is pretty impressive. But when we come to know the words, the one that the words are speaking about, that they're no longer just the words but it's the living testimony, the life of him, the revelation of the who he is in that, in us, that drives us, it certainly drives me into a closer intimacy with him, a greater willingness to find myself throwing myself onto the rock. Crack me open. Here I am, Lord. My heart's exposed to you. I cannot hide from you. There's no turning or darkness in you. There cannot be any within me either. And I become like Jacob, Often, wrestling with God because I want to hang on to myself. But when I realise, actually, you are a good, good father. Your purpose for me is good. I'm willing to let go and let God be the one who's working within me. So I just pray that as we hear these words and then go on and sing, perhaps just as the musicians can come up ready to sing after that, is played that with a heart that's ready to cry out to him Father reveal your goodness to me woo me into intimacy with you because I love you Amen The Bible says he's a king of the Jews he's a king of Israel 
He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yes! Yes! Yeah. Yeah.